0: Welcome to the Career Thrivers Podcast, where we're not just barely surviving in our careers, but we are boldly thriving as leaders. I'm your host, Brittany N. Cole, keynote speaker, author, CEO, and your partner in growth. I've spent over the past decade teaching leaders to develop, retain, and advance in their career and with their workforce. And today, I'm here to guide you on your journey. Here at Career Thrivers, we believe that every experience is an opportunity for continuous improvement. And guess what? You're in the driver's seat of that growth. You're the master of your destiny and the architect of your own success. So whether you're a business leader or a career professional, you are in the right place. Are you ready for this? I'm so excited to be here with you. This season, we're gonna be exploring this theme of owning your power. And I firmly believe in the value of ownership and owning your power, not only in your career, but also in your life. We'll delve into thought-provoking discussions, learn from industry leaders, and equip ourselves with the tools and strategies to thrive in our careers. So buckle up, Thrivers, as we gear up to take your leadership skills to the next level. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Thrivers podcast. And I'm excited about this conversation today because we are talking to an educator turned entrepreneur, a digital brand strategist, a speaker, and an author. Welcome to the show. Shade adieu. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm
1: super excited to be here. Yeah,
0: I'm super excited about this conversation. And listen, we're going to go ahead and tee this up because you are listening into this show because you are a thriver. You are a leader. You're someone who is looking to take things to the next level, to shift from barely surviving to boldly thriving. And so we have an expert with us today on the mic. That is going to help you to raise your leadership profile. And so let's get right into it, Shade. I wanna just take a step back, learn a little bit more about your journey. So, can you share with us your journey from education to becoming an award winning coach and best selling author and the work that you do today in the digital marketing space?
1: Thank you so much. So, I started my business nine years ago in the Republic of Kazakhstan. I know that's a story within a story. I was living in Central Asia as an international educator at a trilingual school. And I just knew that there was more. I thought, you know, coming from Irvington, New Jersey, a very small town, that that was it. Going Traveling the world, um, being an educator was the apex of my life and my career. But I knew that there was a calling to do more. So a month before I resigned from my international teaching job I started my business online and we have been going ever since but I still leverage the experiences the the skills the talents and things that I learned from the academic space and I leverage it in entrepreneurship day in and day out.
0: I want to tap in a little bit to you mentioned this call to more and I I know what you mean when you say that, but oftentimes it is hard to describe that feeling. I almost sometimes think it's like, it's something that you have to experience to fully understand. But I think it's something that resonates with so many people. When you were experiencing that moment in your career, like, okay, I'm at the place that I said I wanted to be. I worked hard. I put in the hours. I did the networking. I followed the playbook. Now I'm here. And I'm looking around like, is this it? (laughs) And sometimes there can be that tension of like, you know, I don't want to be ungrateful because I asked to be here. But I feel like I'm not completely fulfilled here. How did you how how, what was that space like for you? And how, how did you navigate that to make the
1: decision to even transition? That's a great question. So I'll give a little bit more context. So. After I was, I got my math, my bachelor's degree from the Morgan State University. Shout out to Morgan State, and then I went to Philadelphia to go get my master's at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, the year that I decided to get a degree in education, there was a hiring freeze in the city of Philadelphia, so there were no jobs. And my background's in social studies education, so I was not an essential educator. They want the maths, the sciences, even English. So social studies was on the chopping block. So I'm in a city. Where I have an Ivy League education and I cannot get a job. So, my initial response was to go back to New Jersey and be a teacher at my, be a social studies teacher at my middle school um, in Irvington. But there was an opportunity that happened, a happenstance conversation in the hallways of the University of Pennsylvania between two former colleagues. One said, Oh, how are you? And the other one said, Well, I direct educators in, you know, at school at Penn. And then the other person said, Well, we're looking for teachers. Da, 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 in Kazakhstan. And of course I said, I'm not going. I said, uh, people that look like me don't do that. I'm not going. But through mentorship and listening to others and uh, understanding that if I did not go, someone else would not go. I took a leap of faith and months later, I was in the Republic of Kazakhstan in the capital, uh teaching. <laughs> uh, and it, it drastically changed my life. So I thought taking that leap of faith was the thing to do. I did not know that it would be the catalyst for the next thing that I was supposed to do. So it gave me courage. Um, I, I spent time with ambassadors, world leaders, people who worked at embassies around the world. And in in those spaces, they talked about their travels. Oh, we've been to 56 different countries. Oh, I've been to 100 places. Oh, have you been here? So it opened up my mind to this being a global experience in a global world. And at the time, I think I'd only been to maybe three places, the Bahamas, France, and now Kazakhstan. But being in a space where everyone was so well-traveled and I was in my early 20s, they set a new goal for me. So while I was overseas, I knew that that was a part of the experience that I needed to travel. And I was able to get to over 30 different countries, traveling with with people and also traveling by myself. And it allowed me to learn so much more about me. That experience was only supposed to be for one year. I have I'm also a Bill and Melinda Gates scholar and you can only take a, a three year sabbatical. So I knew that I could do one year and I could take a teaching sabbatical. But if I stay for year two, I was going to have to stay for year three because I did not want to go back to the United States and only teach out of school for one year or two years before I went for my PhD. So I always knew I was going to go back to school for my PhD. And I had between a three year hiatus to do it. So once I decided to stay in Kazakhstan for year number two, I automatically knew I was going to be there for three years. And I knew that if I did, if I would, if I stayed for a fourth year, I would lose um, up to about five more years of academic funding. So I knew I was going to go back to school. So being there for that third year, I knew that there was a new push to do something else. I was applying for PhD programs, and I knew I needed to make a, a decision. Why, what I did not say was the initial programs that I applied to, I did not get in. So I applied to about five programs, all five in the first part, I didn't get in. So I was panicking. I was like, "I'm going to lose this money. I don't want to be in Kazakhstan. What am I going to do?" So I was going to run away. You know, what's the wait? What? <laughs> Why? why Why face my problems and oh, issues boy. when you can just run? So I was going to apply to a job in Kenya. I was like, I'm not coming back to the United States. Why face the shame? I was I was going to go to live in Kenya. Then I was like, I was going to go to Kyrgyzstan. Because I already told these people I was going back to school. And since that wasn't happening, I needed a new plan. But the calling, you know, uh, I'm a woman of faith. And God said, that's not, you're not running away. You're gonna face these. Situ- you're gonna face it head on, um, and I looked at my application at the University of Wisconsin, and I realized that it was still pending. So I had to have the courage to call them while I was in Kazakhstan to say, "Why is my application pending?" And they said, "Because you're missing a recommendation." And I said, "Now this is like six months later, like." like <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? And they said, we can't make a decision because we don't have all your stuff. They had every single thing in my application, but because I was missing one recommendation, they never pushed forward through my, with my application. So I called this lady and she said, well, if you can get me a recommendation within the next 48 hours, we have one more meeting left for the year and I will push your application through. Listen, I got favor. is not wow. And I got I called one of my mentors and I said, listen, I need you to do me a huge favor. And she had already written me multiple uh, resumes and recommendations over the years. I said, listen, I know you don't want me to go to Wisconsin. I know you want me to come back to New Jersey, but if I don't send this in, I'm not going anywhere uh, <laughs> and she got me the recommendation in, and, and like a week later, I was, I was, um, accepted to the university of Wisconsin and I had applied to some other schools and I had got it later accepted to Columbia and some other schools too. Uh, but that initial rejection really sent me in a downward spiral, but I had to bring myself back up because I knew that there was more on the other side. So I, in addition to starting my business two or three months later, I made a bi-regional relocation from the East Coast to the Midwest to move to Wisconsin, sight unseen. I had never been there before. And I took that leap of faith to move there to work on my PhD. So I was starting a brand new business and a brand new doctoral program after living overseas for three years. So it was definitely a whirlwind shock. It was something that I still think about today. And, uh, and part of it was just taking that leap of faith and believing that everything was going to be okay on the other side. So if you have a calling to do something radical, whether it is a career shift um, to step into entrepreneurship or go back to school, I'm going to encourage you in this season to be radical and understand that whatever comes your way, you have the skills, the t- the, the, the tenacity and the resilience to figure it out as you get to the other side.
0: Yeah, that is so powerful. What an incredible story. I mean, there's so much there. My, my mind is going back to the like overhearing the conversation on campus, like that moment and then everything that you shared afterwards was a result of that encounter that was not a part of an individual development plan that was not a part of a 30 60 90 day you know that was not a part of this step-by-step guide and i think one of the things that if if you aren't mindful particularly for those of us who have experienced life working in a corporate organization or we're there right now sometimes we don't recognize how the routine ness of work can turn down our openness to listen for opportunities that are off the beaten path that could lead to, just as you mentioned, like an incredible experience, an incredible opportunity that we didn't even know was meant for us. We're just not even open to it. We don't even think that it's a possibility and we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to dream in those directions. And so I think it's so important that as leaders Yes, you have a plan. Yes, you have a vision of where you want to go, but you stay open to the route and the pathway to get there, which is what I love about your story. Because you're like, who would have known I would have spent three years here and then got my doctorate at
1: Wisconsin while starting a business. And And I want to go back to that because I I was the first black person they hired and I was the youngest. We built the framework for what they did. We were hired directly from the um, the Department of Education in the Republic of Kazakhstan. This was a random conversation that happened between two colleagues that were just catching up. This was the day that the hiring freeze was announced in the city of Philadelphia. And for him to randomly see him in the hallway and he said, well, we're developing schools in Kazakhstan. We need educators. And they took a leap of faith on us. We negotiated our contracts. And this. And let me give you some other stuff too. You got to have advocates. So going back to careers, I even though I didn't necessarily always advocate for myself, I always was in position for other people to advocate for me. So when they had this meeting with the, t- the educators in the Department of Education for Kazakhstan, I was in the room and I left the room because I said, this meeting is not for me. I said, there's no way I'm going to Kazakhstan. I was there. They were setting up. And I remember the people coming in. And I happened to be talking to my professor. I was late. I was like one of the last people in class. And I saw them setting up. And I left. Because I said, it's not for me. The next day, I said to my friends, I said, jokingly, like, oh, I heard. You. I saw them coming into the meeting. And they were, like, excited. Um, and they said, I said, oh, are you going to Kazakhstan? And they said, yes, I think we're going. We really enjoyed the presentation. So I I was like, this man is crazy. I'm not listening to him. So then I went to the next person and I said, are you going to Kazakhstan? And they said, I think we're going. And then it hit me. I asked two people that we are, we both happen to be teaching at the same school. And when things things are in alignment, you're going to see it. Going back a little bit, backtrack to that. The year I was teach- I was student teaching in Philadelphia, I specifically asked them to put me at an urban school, a majority black school in West Philadelphia. They placed me in Northeast Philadelphia in one of the most diverse schools in the country. The students speak over 52 different languages. We had students that spoke Russian that knew where Kazakhstan was. So when I told them I was going to Kazakhstan, my students would say, where was it? They said, you don't speak Russian. They said you can't go there. You don't speak. How you I had students who were uh from uh Uzbekistan, from Russia, and they were like, You don't speak Russian, how are you going to Kazakhstan? They that's what they could not understand. Not that where is it, what is that? They were very well versed in part in multiple parts of the world, and that part of um Philadelphia was Russian speaking. So the fact that I was there and I could not understand because I had to take two buses up in up, a trolley to get to that school every morning. I had to get up 90 minutes earlier, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. to take a trek to that side of Philadelphia when I was only 10 minutes away from West Philly. Because I was being set up for international opportunity and experience. So sometimes the things that we think we want are not the things that we actually Listen. need. So I'm already in this school. That's a trilingual, I'm an international school. That's Well, it's a public school, but it's an international student population, over 4,000 students. It's the baby United Nations that's setting me up for my next level, which was an international experience. Mm -hmm. So I need people to understand. I ran away. And then I had to go back to wise counsel. And I said, why am I afraid of this opportunity? Because no one else has ever done this before. No one who looks like me has never done this before. Why am I afraid? And then I had to even reject that part about nobody who's ever done this. Because my brother, my biological brother, lived in the Middle East for 10 years. So that's who I called. He was a contractor. One of my uncles was a dean of a school in in Japan, so it wasn't that it wasn't in my lineage. I just wasn't willing to accept. Yeah, you weren't even so aware of it, like, and to be that close to family. you, what? And, and my and my father is lived in another country. My father was is an immigrant. He immigrated to the United States from Ghana, West Africa. So living in other parts of the world was not foreign to my family. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh, we don't do that. Black people don't do that. That's just what it was. And I had to be okay with taking a leap of faith. And they told me, my friends were like, okay, well, Shadé, you didn't come to the initial meeting, but there's a secret meeting. Again, going back to advocates, you need people who will put their name into the secret meeting. They said, there's a secret meeting at this hotel. They told me the time of the meeting. They told me to show up to the hotel and they said, bring your resume. And we're going to slide your resume into the pile with everyone else's <laughs> resume. This is how it happened. And now, let's, let me be very clear. I was the only Black person wow. there. So it's not like you can just slide, slide my, my resume in. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the Department of there clearly knows that I was not at their initial meeting. I was not there. (laughs) I stood out like a sore thumb. But my friends were like, we're going to roll up in there and we're going to slide your resume in there. And then like six months later, I was in Kazakhstan. They they gave us a verbal offer. And a couple of months later, we had a contract. And by August of that year, 2011, I moved to Kazakhstan. So- I hope that was, you know, helpful for someone like you need advocates, Mm -hmm. things are conspiring in your favor, and you got to be willing to take a lead.
0: Hey, Thriver, have you ever had that feeling like you're doing all of the things, but you're still in the same place? If you're ready to unleash your full potential and to move beyond feeling stuck, stagnant, overlooked, and overwhelmed, you're in the right place. I have an exciting tool for you called the Own Your Power Checklist, and it's the ultimate guide to helping you to own your personal power to thrive as a leader. Now this checklist is gonna help you to do four things. Number one, it's gonna help you to own your unique personal power and to really weld it. It's gonna help you to embrace your authenticity, to develop self-awareness, to take ownership and hold yourself accountable. And then lastly, how to trust your instincts and turn those obstacles into opportunities. I'm so excited for you to cultivate an authentic personal brand and remain resilient without it costing you your well being. Why? Well, because now is the time. Now is the time for you to move beyond the barriers and to create new opportunities. Now is the time for you to stop being passed over and to start being recommended in rooms that you're not even in. Now is the time for you to stop feeling stuck and stagnant and to align your strengths to accelerate your growth. Now is the time for you to step into the leader that you were always meant to be. So don't miss out on this opportunity. Click the link to download the Own Your Power checklist now. Take the next step towards owning your personal power and thriving as a leader. Get your checklist today at careerthrivers.com forward slash podcast. It's your time to thrive. Ooh, so good. I was gonna ask you, like, how did you go from the two friends to a yes, but it was a secret meeting that they got you into?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They said, is joining us in the meeting. They advocated for me on my behalf. And they said, she's joining us in the meeting. And um, here's her resume, and she's coming too. And and we and that was one thing too that we did in Kazakhstan. We were exceptional. We went as a core. It was five of us agreed Mm -hmm. to go, and we just made sure we were on the same page when it came to our contract negotiations. We made sure we were paid the same amount of money. So we we can't. We were like, we want to be paid the same amount of money. We want a sign-in bonus. So when we get there, you need to have a certain amount of money for us so that we can – re our relocation fee. We need a travel fee. Like, we really were instrumental. And I was like 22 at this time, 23, navigating this. But we were adamant about we're going to receive equal pay, and we're also going to make sure we, we – create an equitable contract that makes sense for an international educator. And what we negotiated was the cusp of what they negotiated for the rest of the international mm-hmm. educators that they hired from around the world. But we were their first five wow, people. Wow.
0: You set the tone. And that is so powerful. I think from a, you know, traditional networking perspective and conversation so often professionals are trying to network up. Like we think that the change and the truth to power is only um, you know, hierarchical in that way, when oftentimes it is the girding up of power that is lateral to you, that is next to you, that is at the same level that might even be under you, that might even be you bringing somebody along to have a level of authenticity and transparency to say, how do we shift dynamics, shake tables, challenge systems, together. Um and 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 that's so powerful. I mean, we we do a lot of work in the gender equity space and um whenever we're teaching on allyship, we often encourage women that hey, listen, like allyship is not just about what men can do to be better advocates of women. It's about what women can do to be better advocates of other women, you know? So even hearing you say that hey, you know, I was the only black woman in the space um, is a nod to that, but it is also a nod to diversifying your network because a large part of that was also on you to be able to say, although I don't see myself in this space, I belong here. So talk to us a little bit about um, just that sense of what I believe is self-assuredness, but also like deep self-awareness to know that like wherever I show up, I belong here and I'm going to show up authentically in the space.
1: Absolutely. So it was not easy being the first, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I made it. De- I made a declaration. that I would not be the last. See, that was the key. If you're going to be the first and you're going to your job is to open up doors for other people. So I already knew I had an obligation and I was interviewed by one of their hiring firms and we talked about race. You know, She was like, you know, we're in Kazakhstan. I don't see people that look like you and explain and sharing. And I'm sharing my experiences of living in Kazakhstan and sometimes being the first Black person people had ever seen at that moment is sometimes the last, because if I went into remote villages and I was speaking to the elders, I could have been the last Black person that they have ever seen in person. And I just made the decision that I will not be the last. So by the time when we first started, I believe there were, let's say there were six schools that were, they were developing and there was me and there was like one other, there were like three other Black teachers, Two, one was uh, African-American, the other two were of um, British descent. And they were at another school like miles away, nowhere near where I where I was. So we made a decision that that can't be the same. So by the time I left within those three years, they had opened up at least nine additional schools and there was someone of African descent at every single school. Whether they were American-born, they could have been from the Caribbean. We had people from Africa, Nigeria. But we made a decision that this could not be the same. And I needed to let them know that it was okay to come. Now, it was very uncomfortable. There were tons of photos taken of me around the country. I went to a wedding of a colleague, and I probably am in 300 photos (laughs) that will one day resurface. There's going to be so many photos that resurface of me in Kazakhstan. I'm just waiting for, for them. And I was apprehensive because, you know, in America, the custom is you don't want to take the shine away from the bride. And, but she was extremely gracious and she was happy that I was making her family feel welcome and happy. And I didn't want to bring it to anyone's attention that I was extremely uncomfortable with being, I guess, the token black person in all the photos, but uh, I needed them to see that we are different than sometimes what they see on television. So that was important to me and someone who can actually have conversations about race. I was okay with having those conversations, but in that moment I wanted her to feel great and happy, but it was, it was, it's, it was a lot. Um, But I just made the decision. I can't be the last. So now I know that there are uh, educators of color across um, the country
0: now. That is phenomenal. So from your time in Kazakhstan, international educator, developing new schools. At what point did you transition into entrepreneurship? And then what was really the catalyst for that decision?
1: The catalyst. So the third year on the first day of school, uh, my boss, my supervisor said, are you coming back tomorrow? And I said, I don't know. And when I said that, I knew it was time to make a new plan, that it was time to transition that the work that I was doing was amazing. I was living my best life. I was in the best shape of my life. I had great credit. I had money saved. Oh, life was amazing. But I just knew that there was more because part of the sacrifice of moving from 843 miles away is I'm sacrificing moments in time with my own family. I was nurturing and cultivating families internationally But I was missing the the graduations, the birthdays, the holiday functions. And I have a huge family and I love my family. And that's the one thing we can't get back. We can't get back time. So I valued being there. And then I came back home. So each year I renegotiated that I would spend more time out of Kazakhstan. So the first year I left, maybe every six months. Then the second year, I left every uh, like four months. And then by the third year, I was leaving every 90 days. I said, listen, if you want me to stay and come back, (laughs) I'm leaving more because it just I I missed my family. I wanted to have relationships and love and all these things I didn't see happening in Kazakhstan, staying where I was. So I just had to make that decision um, about having some life balance. And I knew it was time to go back because I missed my family. I was getting homesick. And the sacrifices that I was making were no longer there. The sacrifices when I was balancing out weighing what made the most sense, I knew it was time to go back home. So that's what really was the catalyst moment. But I needed a plan because this is the thing. If you decide to leave your job and you say, I'm not going back. If you live in the same state as your job, your job is 20 minutes, an hour away. You can go home. But if you're in Kazakhstan, I can't just be like I'm getting on a plane and leaving the country. There are some logistics that needed to happen so that we could do this the right way. So I decided that third year I was going to create, I needed to just start saving money. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I knew school was a part of that plan. I didn't necessarily see entrepreneurship, but I knew there was something else. So I started reading more. I started paying attention, working out, saving money. I stopped taking as many trips and I was like, I'm going to be disciplined and focused because I know something is next, but I don't know what that next is. How did I get into business? I just knew, I I guess I found like a life coach or a mentor online. And I said, I think I can just help people live their best life. I I wanted to solve problems. I knew my company is called Savvy Solutions because I got tired of people always talking about problems. I was like, let's come up with a solution. I'm always like, how can we be solution focused? So that's where the name of the company came from. And I just thought I was going to help and inspire people. I didn't know that that was not really like the money making activity. You got to really have an audience and market and brand and sales and operations, all the fancy things, right? I didn't know that at the time. I just wanted to help people, so that was where the core of the business started. And through that, uh, through understanding that I was no longer receiving a check, because again, I left.
0: I mean, and, and that and that and, is a reality yeah. check, uh, all in by itself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Money ran out. I'm not receiving a, a, a payment. Where, where is my money? So then I realized, oh, I gotta make money. Mm-hmm. So then I needed to figure that out. So I knew I was a good student. So students, if you have if you don't understand calculus, you find a calculus professor. If you don't understand biology, you find a biology professor. So I didn't have a context or understanding for business. So I needed to find a business mentor, a business coach who could help me package all of my genius and expertise and turn it into an actual money-making business. So that was the next part of my journey.
0: Yeah. And then what what did that look like? So you connected with a mentor and then what what was the business that you started compared to the business that you run today?
1: So I started off as a life coach and I just, like I said, I wanted to help people live their best lives. And through that process of life coaching people who would ever let me co- coach them, mostly friends and family, um, they kept asking me this one question, how did you build your brand? And they just kept saying it to me. How did you build your brand? How did you build your brand? And some, this man randomly called me one day. I don't know how he found my number. And he said, you know how to build brands. And I said, why do you keep thinking that I know how to do this? I, I was so confused. In retrospect, the reason why they think I know how to do this is because I've been doing this as a child. So prior even to Kazakhstan, I used to work on gubernatorial, presidential, and municipal elections as a kid before I could vote. You learn a lot from politicians. It was called reputation management. I used to phone bank and canvas and promote and market for politicians that was my side money while people were working at mcdonald's and rainbow i didn't want to do that i was like i want to work for the government i was bold I, the stuff I that i was doing the mayor of my town and i said listen i was 16 and he said you got to be 18 to work for the uh for the mayor's office and i said i'm smarter and i'm better than those 18 year olds you're gonna hire so you need to hire me and Somehow I walked in, I was at the right place at the right time. I said, where are you guys going? We're getting jobs. I walked right in there again and I worked for the Department of Public Works. So I had a government job as a kid. And then my side gig was working political elections. So I just learned so much when you're in meetings with politicians and we were working Gov- gubernatorial. So for the governor, I met the former governors of the, of New Jersey. We were working presidential elections. So I was there when they were campaigning and canvassing the Bill Clinton, and the Barack Obama's. I was in those meetings as a child. And I didn't realize that that was a skill set that I was learning. And I always loved uh, student government. I would run campaigns. I always knew campaign slogans and angles. And I knew how to put like little websites together. I just Learned this stuff as a child, and then my mentor, who, um, who was the person who wrote that last minute letter for me, said, "Of course, Shadé, you've been doing this since you were young." Um, so I transitioned into brand strategy, but I also worked with a lot of mentors who were brand strategists and speakers. I knew I was supposed to be speaking, and I knew that I knew something about brand strategy, but I wanted some more help. So I spent a lot of time working with coaches and mentors who were speakers. And brand strategist. And that's how we have our mutual mentor, Marshawn Evans. Um, And I said, this lady reminds me of me. I like I like this lady. I love this lady. I got to find her. I got to meet her. Um, Her story, that uh, how we connected. It was I heard a podcast interviewer talking about her and talking about her wedding. And the way we the funny story about that is her husband's name is Jack Daniels. And um, the person who officiated their wedding of how they met was Paul Carrick Brunson. So Paul had a podcast and he said, oh, I, I um, officiated a wedding this weekend. And the man's name is Jack Daniels. And I said, who named their child Jack Daniels? <laughs> and that's what got my attention. And then he said, but his wife is so amazing. She's this and she's mm-hmm. that. And then I was like, oh, was his wife? So then I started a Google search to find his wife. And that's how they both became my mentor because his name was Jack Daniels. I haven't told them that story, but I think they'll enjoy (laughs) for sure.
0: Uh, It's funny whenever um, they're doing like his intro, and I've even seen him do this just like meeting people like off to the side. You know, he'll like say his name, and then he'll they'll always purpose it with like that. That's really his name, (laughs) or like he'll like say that like that's really my name because you you look up for a minute, especially you know if you're in the South, particularly Tennessee, you're like, oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> this tall, bald black man, your name is Jack Daniels, for real. <laughs> yes, a shot of Jack. Yes. I, I love Jack. that. I love that. So really when we think about like <clears throat> these these dots that you're connecting in your story, like they really go back to as you mentioned, like things that you were doing as a child that kind of have all come together coupled with like recognizing where you are like in this super diverse school where this incredible opportunity opens up for you to have a global impact in education. Talk to us a little bit about for leaders that are listening in that want to they have a sense of their dots, how they connect. They're in a position of influence, but they're looking to take their brand to the next level. Talk to us about some of the initial challenges that you have had along the way in building your brand, and then what are some ways that you overcame those challenges?
1: So be, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this back to a one more nugget. So I want to say one thing before I talk about the challenges and how we bring it together, because this go this ties into challenges. One of the things my back my, uh, my first degree is in history, and we had a chance to do take this archival class. And one of the things that I've taken throughout this entire time in life is to document your journey and your story. Because those moments seem insignificant when they are happening. But when we reflect and go back to these stories, where I'm like, okay, I remember canvassing and, and, and registering people to vote, it wasn't a big deal. It was just what we did to make money. That's my $10, $10 an hour job as a kid. That was good money in Irvington, New Jersey. So it didn't. That moment in time was insignificant, but when I bring it back now, I'm like, wow, look what you were doing as a child. So I want you to think about, reflect on your career, reflect on your your background, whether it's an academic experience or your life experiences, and be intentional about documenting the moments. Because as we're building a brand, we need to document. And I think about the story of, of... Kanye West, the genius documentary that was on Netflix, Whether, whatever you, whichever way you feel about Kanye West. One thing that was so powerful about watching that documentary was the person who put it together 20 years ago knew that Kanye West was going to be a star and he knew that he needed to document it. He could see the genius in the beginning. So I need us to begin to identify the genius in us now so that when we're looking at this 20 years from now when our when books are being written about us 100 years from now we have well documented the experiences that we are having so when we're talking about even challenges document those too because it's going to be a life lesson for you or a life lesson for someone else who needs it so i've been in, so the, the beauty of sharing these experiences in Interviews like this, that we can go back to this years from now and say, oh, my goodness, look at what we were talking about and look where we are. We have documentation. So be intentional about documenting your your career. Uh, I didn't understand that at the moment. Luckily, I will say before we went to Kazakhstan, one of our professors, the person who had that meeting, who initiated this whole uh, life change for me. Um, actually began, he moved to Thailand right after that, shortly after that. And one of the things he said, because he was forward thinking, he said, you guys need to document your experience because it could become a book. So we went into Kazakhstan in 2011 already, already knowing that we needed to save what was happening because it could be valuable years from now. Now we're what is this over a year? How many years later? Twelve over a decade later, mm-hmm. and we're still having this conversation. And I have notes and um, blog posts from when I was there, and I could go back to how I felt in that time frame. So document your experience because when we talk about challenge, what were some challenges? Challenges? I will say this is this is definitely something that happens in cr- your career. Confidence going into a new skill set, learning something new, going to a new place there's a level of insecurity that you have because you don't understand the unknown. So I was okay with being an educator and being a teacher. I had trained my whole life to be a teacher, but now you want me to be a business owner? There was major levels of insecurity that I was like, how can I be? I told everybody I wanted to be a teacher. I got these education degrees. Now I'm saying I'm in business because in my head, you needed to go to the school of business. You know, I went to Penn and up the street was Wharton, one of the best mm-hmm. business schools in the mm-hmm. world. I thought that I needed to go to Wharton up the street, not the School of Education down the street. But what I realized was if you are great in business, you have a successful and profitable business, you can just hire somebody from Wharton. You just hire them. So then I said, okay, that works. And I had to. So confidence, confidence was something I needed to work on. I would be I would have made more impact and made more money at this moment in time if I was more confident starting out. That was number one. Number two, capital. You got to have money to run a business. Mm-hmm. It's ghetto out here in these business streets. You really have to have capital to run a business. Um, some other challenges and mistakes getting, men- I should have got coaching and mentorship earlier. Yes. And belief. <laughs> Coaching and mentorship way earlier, making those initial investments because what we initially invest in are a website, a photo shoot, a logo, some pamphlets, a, a tote bag, some pins that say the name of our Lord. business, like the LLC. <laughs> we play business in the beginning. We play. We play it right, and then and and then we realize like, oh crap, we actually have to make money. So I remember the first semester, I'm trying to navigate school. I want to quit school because this is hard even though I was a straight A student. Then I wanted to get rid of business because this is hard. So I remember just looking for jobs because I was like, this is difficult. So you got to have that tenacity too and consistency. So being in a tribe, a community of thrivers, of people who are going to see you at your highest level self and require you to rise is how it was able to sustain. And if you have to be a parallelpreneur, be a parallelpreneur. You don't have to jump into full-time entrepreneurship because it is, it is a challenge yeah. and then okay with sharing those challenges, not feeling like because everyone has perfect Instagram photos and perfect tweets and posts that you have to be perfect. This isn't it. We are imperfect human beings have an imperfect life experience and process. So understanding as I was building my brand that I did not have all the answers, that I was not perfect, that I was insecure and I needed support, guidance guidance. And um, I sometimes need to borrow somebody else's confidence to go to the next level. Yeah. And how I shifted the security part was I had to build, I had to produce results and remember who I was. Go back to who I was as a core, as that person who was in that room that just slid my applications in and got a job. I needed to go back and remind myself, even though you didn't do it in this way, the skills that you've learned up to this point are transferable. You've done some amazing things that people half your age have never done. So own who you are and be okay with it. Yeah.
0: And that, and that's why the, the documentation is so important. Like I want to speak to the person because I hear you in my ear and I see you in my mind, the person that's saying, yeah, I hear you Shadé," but like, I don't really need to document because I don't want to be out here on these internet streets. I don't want everybody in my business. I'm not trying to write a book. I'm not trying to have a YouTube channel. I'm not trying to be an influencer but you're, you're missing the opportunity in the documentation for your own personal leadership development. Like there is a level of, confidence building and competency securing that happens when you are able to reflect back on your prior wins. So a large part of the documentation that you were mentioning isn't just for the purpose of social capital. It isn't just for the purpose of building an audience or following. It is also for your very own development as a leader to be able to show up fully in new spaces because you have a repertoire of results that you can lean on and you can direct directly recall because you have documented them. I'm I'm also thinking and hearing Marshawn in in my head, she often talks about how uh, coaching collapses time. She she uses that language of collapsing time. And I think that that is so, like, it's one of the biggest missed opportunities of people that do not uh, invest in themselves. Like when people say like, oh my gosh, I would never, you know, what do you mean you invest 10%? I invest 10 to now 20% as a business owner of our organization's revenue in my leadership development thousands of dollars. And this was even really before I started Career Throbbers, like as a professional working at Pfizer, it's like, my salary is what? 125K? Okay. 10% of that. Guess what I'm doing? If you're not paying for the course manager, I'm paying for the course. If you're not paying for the conference, I'm paying for the conference because these are opportunities that are going to give me a chance to collapse the time to get to the next level or to get to the next aspiration. And so I think what you're sharing is so critical for professionals to understand like, Hey, if you are not connected in with a community that can help you grow and develop, if you don't have that board of directors or that mentor, then perhaps you need that coach that can help to do the very same thing today that you mentioned of like connecting the dots for you, helping you to see around the corner, to make the decisions that you probably otherwise would not make because we are naturally wired to prioritize comfort over courage. We are naturally wired to say, what is the safe bet in the situation versus could I move overseas for three years? I absolutely could not. Who does that, right? But having that push from a coach helps you to figure out those uh, opportunities in your own career journey. So I love that you shared that. Um, as we wrap up here, we got to bring you back because listen, this conversation is so good. And there's like so much more that I know that you do because Again, shout out to the, the entire Traffic Sales and Profit community, Lamar and Ronnie Tyler. Um, we are both a part of the mastermind, and it's been such an incredible experience. I mean, we got to connect uh, and meet further in Mexico with that group. But um, there's so much more that I learned about you there that I'm like, we ain't even really scratched the surface on. Okay. So just consider this an invitation for part two, (laughs) but for today, for our listeners that are listening in who are wanting to take their brand to the next level, I want to wrap up talking about uh, mindset shifts. What are the mindset Mm. shifts that are critical from going from business leader in your hometown, corporate professional known in your organization to global powerhouse leader and personal brand?
1: So the first thing is belief. You have to believe that it is possible and available to you. And if you can't believe it, you got to find people. We, we Something that uh, one of our colleagues in Mexico said, you have to borrow somebody else's belief Borrow somebody else's persona. And that's the same thing even with Beyonce. Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. So she doesn't want to be Beyonce for today, she's Sasha Fierce. So you got to tap into your fiercest persona to tackle the things that you desire to do in life. And you have to be okay with being you. So I had to go on a journey of being, being okay with being me, my imperfections, the shame that comes with being you. Those stories that we tell ourselves that nobody else even asked you about. That the, the, the family background, our history, our legacy, there's so many things that we are proud of, but there's so many things in our story that makes us feel shameful. So sometimes we don't rise to the occasion and be the person we were born to be. So the first mindset shift is we got to be okay with being us. And then if we're not okay, it's okay not to be okay. The next piece is get help, whether that's coaching, mentorship, or therapy. I'm an advocate of saying this, get help. We have huge goals and aspirations for our lives and our, and our careers, and sometimes it can become absolutely overwhelming. So we need to be able to process those experiences with a professional. So if you need mentorship or therapy, go get it. Um, the third thing is do it anyway. Take that leap of faith. If you feel, I was at an event and it talked about resistance. If you feel some level of resistance to doing something I'll be honest like even talking to Brittany someone said you need to speak to Brittany I was like there was a level of resistance and I had to feel the resistance and I had to say well I'm going to speak to her anyway and look what the result is we're here having a conversation but there was I was like, hold oh, on now, wait a minute. Resist this, but what, what was I am an introvert and you want me to talk to new people and have conversations? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I have to work on that. That's something I work on every day. Mm-hmm. Feel the resistance.
0: Do it anyway.
1: See do why it. might be irrational, because sometimes it is, and do it anyway. You owe it to yourself. Your future self is betting on you. So just go.
0: Through. I love that. And I only have one thing to add. Get into the rooms online and in person where your ceiling is those people's floor. So if you are always the one at the table, in the group, on the Zoom call that has the biggest and brightest ideas, that has the best and biggest results and impact, you, are, you need to expand your room. I won't say you're in the wrong room because there's value that can add there. And some of us find ourselves in places like that. But if you notice that you are routinely like, okay, wait a minute. I am the ceiling in this room. You need to get to a room where your aspirations are people's floor. Whether it's you're a business owner and your annual revenue, find the group where your annual revenue goal is their monthly revenue goal. right? But find those opportunities to get into spaces so that you expand your uh, capacity to believe bigger. And shout out to Marshawn again. We will have to uh, make sure that uh, we tag her book "Believe Bigger." Um, it certainly is a is a resource that absolutely changed my life for sure. Um, but you need to be in rooms like that so that you can see beyond where you are and expand your level of visibility and vision for what's possible for you. So, Shadé, how can we stay connected with you online? So
1: here on the Career Thrivers podcast, connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know that you found me here. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm all across the internet as Hey Dr. Shade, but I would love to connect with you and let me know you found me here.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank and you. we always leave with asking our guests what does
1: thriving mean to you? Thriving means you're operating in your highest level self. You are secure in your mind, your body, in your soul, and in your bank account. Um, And you're going after absolutely every single goal. And you're saying no to things that no longer serve you. And you're operating in a level of joy, flow, and happiness that is unmatched. You're happy with just being you. Go Thrive.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. And that's a wrap on today's episode, Thrivers. Remember... The power to thrive is in your hands. You have the strength, the patience, the passion, and the brilliance to reach for your next level and to seize it. Never forget that you are not alone on this journey. Together, we will learn, grow, and make strides to lead well. I'm Brittany N. Cole reminding you to trust your instincts, to honor your strengths, to embrace those opportunities, and to own your power. Remember download the All Your Power checklist to keep you on track with your growth over at careerthrivers.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Career Thrivers podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until next time, as we break boundaries and own our power, let's thrive together.